Hello, this is Christopher D. Lee, author of Performance Conversations, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Christopher D. Lee. Chris is the Chief Human Resources Officer for William & Mary College. He holds a master's degree in HR management from Golden Gate University and a PhD in HR development from Georgia State University. Chris is also a retired Lieutenant Colonel from the United States Marine Corps Reserves. Thank you for your service. Chris Lee works in Williamsburg, Virginia, and is here to talk about his book, Performance Conversations, How to Use Questions to Coach Employees, Improve Productivity, Boost Confidence Without Appraisals. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Chris, when Uh, you were growing up, who was somebody who influenced or inspired you? I will have to go with a gentleman by the name of A.G. Gaston, who was a black entrepreneur in Birmingham, Alabama, where I grew up. He was a gentleman who was a multimillionaire, famous in his time, owned a lot of businesses in that community, served a lot of people. So he was easy to be an icon and someone to look up to. I've always been fond of Bog. So it was easy as a young man to try to learn from. Is he somebody who hired you for work? Were you somebody who got to work on one of his companies or did you meet him? Did did you ever have contact with him so that it was a more personal connection or was he more of an inspiration just by his presence as an example? No contact ever with him or his family, but he owned several businesses and they advertised on the local media and throughout the community. You would see various businesses with his name, his name on schools named up him as an example. He was quite elderly in, in my youth, probably in the seventies or eighties by the time I was middle school or high school or sort of thing, but he was still an icon and easy reference point. If he was a reference point that encouraged you, what was the message you took away from his example? That Birmingham is not necessarily the friendliest place on the planet for my perspective, if you are a young black man in the 70s, he defied all odds and was pretty substantial in his accomplishments. That was a source of hope, if you could imagine, at that particular point in time. Birmingham's challenge, particularly during that era, uh, widely known and documented, so you can understand the, the context. The question I want to start with is, your book proposes a very different way to conduct performance conversations. You're more forward-looking rather than backward-looking. You're advocating for more frequency rather than telling you do much more helping to develop the coaching skill by asking people. What inspired you to say the way that we do performance conversations has to change? What was the data that you saw? What was the example? Maybe it was even a conversation. What was the moment where you said, oh boy, this is an area that really needs some help? Yes, that's a good question. I'll make a long story short. As an employee, anyone who's ever had an appraisal knows that it's a challenging environment. The setup of it is artificial and really disconcerting. It says, hey, Bill, you're going to get some constructive criticism on Thursday afternoon. That I mean, just the whole idea that you're going to wait for this opportunity, this annual bloodletting, some authors would call it, this time when a person's supposed to get feedback, but also criticism that sets up the wrong sort of expectations. I had an employee, her name was Sally, and she came to the initial performance uh, 
appraisals I had with her. And she was an A-plus employee, but her previous experiences were negative. She knew it was going to be criticism. And for a person who really had high personal standards and high performance, any criticism was taken really harshly. Let's set up, just think about it, an A-plus employee who has anxiety about this occasion. My own personal experience is mostly positive and other people's experience have always said that they're challenged. And then I'm at Bates College in Maine, where I was HR manager from 99 to 2006. They had actually developed, the previous president named Dunn Harwood had actually developed this process called Conversations Document. It was a, around the idea of coming together on shared goals and shared responsibilities. What I did was add some science to that process and advance it. The, the interesting story is a new president came in and she wanted to go back to the traditional system. I was not supportive of that idea. And if you tell your CEO, particularly a new one, no, you probably should have your ducks in a row. That started me, that was 20 years ago in 2002, that started me on an exercise to really understand. And I've been studying those processes since. And here's what the literature said. They said, hey, e evaluations, appraisals, performance reviews, or whatever you want to call them, are designed to do these things. No, that's not true. What is it that they were designed to do? Because I think so many managers, as well as employees, are thinking to themselves, I always knew that there was something that was a real mismatch between how I was attempting to use the tool and what the tool allowed me to do. Absolutely. They supposedly were designed to improve performance, right? It's a management process, but actually they're designed to document performance, to look backwards, to rate performance, to make an assessment with the false notion that if you give people constructive criticism and you give them a rating, they're going to buck up and they're going to perform better the following year. You can't manage past performance. And as many people would wait until the end to give you bad news versus coach you and help you along the way, right? The whole setup, the premise of them was bad. And that assumes that a manager has the actual ability to evaluate performance fairly. A lot of research shows that people used a sample of performance. The most recent things and the things early in the rating period, there's some bias in there. People tend to rate people who look like them. You get the minority issue, generational issues. I don't know about you, Bill, but I have a lot of challenge with millennials. They see the world very different than us baby boomers. Baby boomers would say, hey, Chris, you did a pretty good job this year. You have B plus. If you do these things, but this time next year, you can get an A. I don't know about you. Baby boomers would hunker down and, and work hard and, and try to please the boss. Millennials, three months from now, they'll be in a new job. That weekend, they would have sent out 20 resumes. So the old system was designed for purposes that are really not sound. We had 10 or 15 variables or performance dimensions on an evaluation sheet. No, it's not all the variables for performance. I think that what you're saying, it's a tool that was designed to look backwards, so open to bias and manipulation, whether intentional or unintentional, whether people are doing it out of blind spots or whether they're just hurried, harried, and unprepared for the conversation. There are so many people who are leaning forward, listening to this now saying, I knew it. I knew it. There were flaws in that. I never enjoyed one. They really didn't do what they said they were supposed to do. And the results were so varied, it couldn't possibly be designed to be doing the job people are saying it's doing. So instead of looking backward, instead of cherry picking examples to support people's perceptions and biases, what's the better way to do it? If, if you were to say to somebody, this is what I want you to think about as you oversee your direct reports starting today, what are the two or three tips that you would give in order to help them understand how to look at performance conversations differently? Okay, three things. 
First of all, it's a shift of mindset. Traditional performance appraisals are a 20th century notion that's not built for the modern world. The mindset shift is the leader's job is not to be a judge, but to be a coach. Not to be a boss, but to be a coach. A judge is someone you don't know, have a relationship. They're well-trained. They sit up on their high horse and they make a judgment of you and they disappear and you never see them again. If you're giving feedback to someone, it affects the relationship. People won't believe in you unless you believe in them. The coach mindset is a fundamentally different. Coaches are known for a couple things. One of them is not necessarily being nice. <laughs> They're known for trying to be effective and the intent of coaching is fundamentally different than it is for supervision. In any professional sports team, there are times when the coaching can be a little intense and that's just the part we see on TV. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not in the locker room. <laughs> the coach, we know their intent is to help us get better because they believe in us. They trust us. They want us to do our very best. And we tolerate some maybe aberrant behavior. Let me in jump that in here, Chris, with a quick question. As contract. People often mistake yeah. managers as their friends and they have a friendly relationship that might go outside of work. They also want coaches to be their friends, especially people who haven't been coached before or who haven't served in the, the armed forces. How do we separate that out so that people say, look, we've both made a commitment to this business and it's my responsibility to coach you to be more effective, to bring out more of your potential so that you're serving not only the company better, but you're going to feel better making better contributions because you're following this process better. You're learning these skills better. How does somebody make that transition and keep a clear boundary between manager slash coach and friend? Yeah, that's a good question. Coaching is a relationship. And that's one of the three things that I want to highlight. Usually it's a voluntary relationship in that a, a leader invests in a person. There's actually a caring component. The International Coaching Federation talks about relationships and it also talks about trust and it talks about intimacy. It basically says you have to get to know one another. It's hard to manage Chris or Bill or Sally or Hector if you don't really know that person. You enter into a mutually beneficial relationship because in sport, it's a good metaphor that there's no circumstance where the coach wins and the performer loses. But in business, we have that kind of idea that, oh yeah, that's just Chris. And as a leader, I can't account for Chris's shortcomings. The truth is, if you have a poor underperforming employee, you might have an underperforming supervisor because the supervisor's job is to bring the best out of Chris or whomever. The goal with the shift our mindset say, my job is to be an enabler. I talk about enabling, empowering, and encouraging. Right? The whole goal of the leader is to help that person perform a higher level than they would have if they did not have the, the person supporting them. The shift in mindset as the first of three points. What are the next two? Yes. Okay. Relationship is we're just talking about because the person has to believe that you have their back because if Chris is not doing his best and if he comes to you and says, hey, I'm sucking wind. I'm not quite sure. Your instructions are, aren't always clear. The point when people are have been help. working from of home course. or for instance, if people are having trouble understanding instructions or assignments when you're not in the same room as we've been working from home and not in the same office. I bet you that's another circumstance where a lot of people have been saying, you know what? I, I need different types of coaching. I need different types of support. And in a relationship, you can have that conversation and ask for those additional details. What do you say to a manager who says, oh, that's extra work? Oh, yeah. Well, my method would argue that you would need to meet people monthly or every trimester between four and 16 weeks, depending on the person and the work being performed, because everybody needs a different amount of support. That equates to about 90 minutes to four hours of coaching 
a year. If you are a manager and you don't have four hours to help your employee go from B plus to A plus or from C plus to double A minus, then you probably shouldn't be a manager, right? This is basic management is not performance appraisals. I would say that the performance conversations method is not an appraisal system. It's a performance improvement system. It's built upon coaching, relationships, and a tool or framework. The third part of the whole is you got to have a tool. You have to have a way of working in order to do your work. If you have to do work more than once and you're a good manager, you need to develop a system, a framework, a taxonomy Cheers. to help you do that consistently and well, absolutely, absolutely. And people understand that. It's like a little bit of a timeout deal, if you will. It's the end of the first quarter or halftime of the third quarter, or if it's at the, the first intermission or the second intermission, if you're in a play, it's a time to pause in the action and reflect upon what's going well, how we can replicate that, what's not going well, and how we might adjust, and what else is going on to see if there's any cues for troubleshooting things or seizing opportunities. You have to build in a system to create that space. What is it that you look for when an HR manager is saying, we have a system. We tell people to have these conversations once a quarter. What's your checklist of things that you look for to know that you have a system that's not just an activity, but something that leads to results? Yes. A couple things. One is that people may be having a supposed conversation, but employee involvement is the key variable. The conversation is two-way. It's not the manager providing instruction or direction or whatever the case may be. It's an opportunity for the employee to say, hey, this is not working for me. I need help on this. Do you have advice about that? How is this going? The way I describe it is a calibration, right? It's not a chance to be evaluated. The chance is to, to get more fuel. It's a refueling station. We're going to come in for a pit stop. We're going to have a conversation. We're going to check in on various variables on our little dashboard. We're going to find out the systems are all go and all pointed upward. We're going to diagnose that situation, take action, and try to improve things. Now, this is is not a week-to-week -week conversation. Those are called, those are individual trees. What's going on with this particular report or this project? That's nurturing a particular tree, pruning it, watering it. This is about the forest. We're going to step back and say our pruning techniques, our watering techniques, the way I'm, we're managing the forest, doing what it should. Absolutely. Is it bearing fruit? And now we want to have something that's going to show for it. Not just the activity of raking. Yes. <laughs> yes. The sake of work is work for the sake of improvement, right? That's the whole idea. It's just a framework. And there could be many working. frameworks that work. Can you share with me an example that you, you talked about with an HR executive who was in a company and didn't have a key piece of that? Maybe they were letting people get away with one-way conversations. Maybe the frequency was wrong. Maybe they didn't have actual metrics that they were measuring against. But you pointed out these are some essential components. He or she added them and it made a difference. Do you have an example you could share with me like that? Yeah. Karen worked for an engineering firm in the Pittsburgh sort of area and pretty structured professionals. And they wanted a number because they're scientists, they're quantitative, they want a number. Those numbers were used, obviously, to determine a, a pay increase. Then sometimes it's a tail wagging the dog where you have people who are motivated to get to a certain number on a spreadsheet because that number was formulaic on how a person would get a raise. And that assumes that they were actually evaluating performance fairly. And the manager's assessment of quality was consistent across the organization. Because Chris may be a hard grader and Paul may be an easy grader, et cetera, et cetera. The point is that all of a sudden people are manipulating the number and giving high ratings to low performers because they're trying to get to a certain economic end. I mean, it's tough out there right now. 
it's a whole lot of turnover. And, and this person is average. However, Maria's average, but I don't want her to leave. So I'm going to give her a higher rating than the tail wag. Because there must also acknowledge that there are many managers and senior managers whose comps are based upon the performance of their team. So they can't give everyone low measures, even if the team is underperforming, because that'll affect their bonus pay, for instance. Oh, absolutely. There are many different ways where the tail wags the dog, where matters of financial implication drive the whole performance so what management system. Is system really designing? Oh, that's okay. a work in progress and because you have to slowly change the organization. So in that situation, we actually put the performance compensations model inside of the performance management system of the organization to affect performance, to improve performance, to give employees the support they needed. And that particular organization where they are in their kind of change management and, and, and thinking is that they're going to use the inputs of that for their performance management system. So at least it's more fair than it was before, which was more once a year episodic and quantitative. Well, that's an imperfect solution. But as you know, every organization, their culture, their systems, and abilities of their managers determine how well you can implement any kind of HR management system. And what you're advocating is saying this whole series of conversations for performance improvement, these are performance conversations, and that's different. It needs to be distinct from conversations related to bonus performance raises and that sort of thing. That's something that should be scheduled differently and structured differently so that people know that this is a backward looking conversation versus a forward looking conversation around. Is that anything you would add to that to clarify it? Absolutely. Oh, that's well said. I describe the performance conversations approach as a series of brief, structured conversations about things that matter most. It's a series. It's planned on the calendar. We're going to do this every every couple of months, bi-monthly. It's for a half hour. But it's not just any conversations. It is structured and tailored around three to five variables that are really important for that person and or the business and the work that they do. We know the employee prepares for the conversation because they have questions for their manager about what they need and the resources and support they need. The manager prepares. We're going to talk about the most important things and it's going to change given the state of the game, what's going on with the play, right? We need to be able to adjust to the realities of what's going on because the whole conversation is around getting better improvement, calibration, et cetera, et cetera. Because what can we do together? I think that everyone who's ever had a performance review on the last Friday of the month knows that it wasn't scheduled. It's like, oh darn, I've got to make sure we get this in. The HR person's breathing down my neck and I've left it to the last minute. That has to change. If managers are going to do a better job managing, it has to become a higher priority. And one of the signals of it being a higher priority is that it's proactively planned and things are happening where you're looking ahead to help people make better improvements. It's not something where the difference between a three and a four is going to make a difference as to what level of compensation or raise you get going forward. If you're interested in people succeeding, you got a coach that's not waiting to the end. It does no good to say this year didn't go as well as we planned. I would like to check in after the first quarter and say, hey, we're off track because my joke about it is that there's no way that you are three months behind on that project today if you weren't two months behind the last time we talked. By having a scheduled set of meetings, it actually empowers both the manager and the employee to hold one another accountable. The employee comes to those meetings. And one of the things we train employees to do is to ask for the support they need. One of the things we say to managers, and Bill, this is the most powerful and important questions that a leader can ever ask their employee, their subordinate, which is, what can I do to help you do your very best work? It's the ultimate accountability question for both parties, because if the employee tells you what they need and you don't deliver, well, if you provide it, the employee doesn't have an excuse. All about being really open to whatever that question, whatever that, wherever that conversation leads. It's not saying, 
Are you looking to hire someone else to do more of your work because your department's behind? It's not presupposing the answer, but it's actually being open to whatever comes from the response. It, it's respectful to ask people to actually make decisions, recommendations, or requests like that rather than trying to solve the problems because you actually build a stronger team when you ask people and then support them in order to help them be as successful as they can be within the organization. What else do you have to say about that conversation and following up from it so that it becomes successful and it signals to the rest of the organization that this is something that really matters when you have this conversation? Yes, for employees, we talk about it being for their work, for their growth, for their career. So if the employee perceives the conversation to be designed as a fueling station we talked about, where they go and get a little extra juice, a little extra support, the right kind of guidance and support, then it will be positive. There are occasions when employees actually ask for additional conversations because they know these conversations are designed to help me get better, right? It's very important also for to, for retention. In today's world, and anytime, quite frankly, when would an employee come in and say, you know, I think I'm doing a pretty good job and I would like more responsibility. Or I'm thinking about looking for another job because I'm not fully fulfilled. By having a scheduled time, the employee knows they're going to get their leader's undivided attention at a certain point, And it's not artificial because during that meeting, if the leader's doing it the right way, they're asking certain questions such as, how are things going with you? Is this too much work? Is this the right amount of work? Do you feel in challenge? Do you want more responsibility? It's also a chance to say, thank you, good job, attaboy, a great time for recognition. So the, the, the performance conversation method is designed to do several things, but it's designed to do all of those things that are supportive of what the individual needs. In order for me to know what they need, I actually have to ask as, them. As experienced as people are, asking and listening still is an essential component of good management and good leadership. Chris, you've been so generous with sharing insights into developing better performance conversations, shifting our mindset, and encouraging us to really adopt a method so that it becomes a distinct process for us to have the performance conversations that are separate from reviews, annual reviews or other things that affect one's salary, bonuses, and other types of rewards going forward. I want to thank you today for joining me on my quest for the best. My pleasure to be with you. Thank you for Chris, the opportunity. Before we say goodbye for now, where is it that people can find out more about you and your work online? Performanceconversations.com. You can get a lot of resources there. Certainly the book is on Amazon and all your favorite retailers. We're going to link to performanceconversations.com in the show notes, as well as your social media, as well as places to buy the book. So it's super easy for people listening to this show to find out more about you and your work. Once again, Christopher D. Lee, author of Performance Conversations, How to Use Questions to Coach Employees, Improve Productivity, and Boost Confidence Without Appraisals. I want to thank you again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.